Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Well, we're back. Uh, so I'll, if you don't know, they sent me on a sabbatical. That is not what it should have been called. Uh, it, it, was, it was a family trip. We've talked about that, okay? And that's what it was. It was a family trip, 4,900 miles, 15 states, okay? So, so the good news is, the good news is, um, they're all alive. <laughs> Brought them all back, uh, and, and I'm still saved. So that's good, too. And, and, and so, but I was smart because I knew I was not going to be rested necessarily getting back from that, planned a couple days on the back end. I slept for three days straight, just curled up in a fetal position in a dark, cold room. And, uh, and so, so, but now I'm rested. I, I'm back. Uh, somebody told me, though, because I've been out so many weeks that I, I have to start all over again. So I filled out a Connect card, and I'm going to take it back to the Welcome Center after the service. I'm excited about that, though. I haven't had a New Life Church coffee cup in a while, so I need one of those. And so, uh, uh, but it is really good to be back. We're wrapping up this series. How many of you guys have enjoyed the Matthew series this summer? Uh, I've been just kind of checking out. I know we've had a lot of great speakers in. I hope you guys appreciate Pastor Rick coming uh, last week. He's actually been in Ukraine this whole week, uh, just checking out the ministry that is happening there. And I want to let you know, uh, it's, it's a crazy, sad, horrific situation. Uh, but the body of Christ, the church, God's bride is on the move, and, uh, and so it, it's been good hearing reports back from him, but I'm wrapping this series up. We're, we're finishing it today, and so this whole chapter culminates in the chapter and the verses that we're going to look at today, so if you got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, uh, and uh, we're going to be looking at what is probably a familiar piece of scripture for you guys, but we're going to break it down a little bit. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. So at this point, Jesus has rose from the grave. He has seen the women first. He told the women, hey, go tell the disciples. I want to meet with them at a certain mountain in Galilee. And so they went and told them that, and the disciples showed up. Uh, but some of them, uh, there's, there's about 500 people that saw Jesus uh, before the ascension, 500 of his followers and disciples. And, and some of them were still questioning whether or not this was actually him because he was in his glorified body. So it, and I think, honestly, the enemy, even at that point, was, was trying to, to, to put scales over people's eyes to, to see that it really was Jesus. And Jesus comes and he says this. Jesus came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's important because he's establishing, okay, so everything that used to have to happen in order for you to have authority, in order for you to be forgiven, in order for you to come close to the presence of God, all of that, I've taken care of. All authority has been given to me, and now I'm going to give it to you. All authority over all of your sin, over everything in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now you're going to be a conduit of that. I'm passing that on to you. He says, therefore, go. Everybody say go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. There's a lot, a lot in this that, that I could speak on, I could preach on. But this is what church people call the Great Commission. How many of y'all ever heard about the Great Commission? Okay, that's what we call it. So what is a commission? It's an instruction or duty given to a person or a group of people. So Jesus has commissioned his people. And if you are his people, it doesn't matter what your job is, or what your title is. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you are his people, these are our marching orders, period. No matter what you do in life. But what are we commissioned to do? Because in here, it says a couple things. It says, make disciples. It says, baptize them. Okay, and then it says, teach them to obey. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. When it comes to baptism, they had a much different context for baptism back then than we do now, okay? Because when Jesus says, baptize them, what he is saying is, I am looking for fully committed people. And when people got baptized then, it meant something different than it necessarily means now. Because back then when you got baptized, it was out in public. And at that point, they're putting their life on the line. Because the Romans hated them and the spiritual leaders of the time hated them. 
So if they were gonna publicly declare that they were a Christ follower, it would mean their life. So what he's saying is, when you go and make disciples, and they, make, they sign up for this, I want them to be fully committed. See, it's just as important now. We're gonna have baptism next week after, after this service, and we're gonna have some people that have never gone public with their faith in Jesus, or they did before, but they're in a different place. But it means something different back then. In fact, there's other countries around the world right now that are completely shut off to the gospel. They hate Christians, okay? Some countries over in the Middle East, and the fact of the matter is they don't care if people call themselves a Christian. The day they care is when they get baptized. That's, that's, how, that's how significant it is there. It's like, like they, they don't say, hey, I, if people say I'm a Christian, whatever. The day they say, I'm fully committed, I'm gonna publicly declare and symbolize I'm a Christ follower. That's the day that people might try to kill them. That's when that happens, okay? So it's not the same for us. But that's what it's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Disciple people, and when they sign up to be my disciple, I want them committed. This is serious. This is a big deal, okay? And then it says to teach them to obey everything I've told you. Now, I believe if you can get the discipleship element right, the whole obeying everything, it'll come naturally. The byproduct of walking out discipleship is you will want to obey everything that Christ instructed us to do. So that's what I wanna key in on today. What does it mean to make a disciple? What is a disciple? First of all, it's a learner, a student, an apprentice of a teacher or master. If you're a Star Wars geek, it's a Padawan, okay? I said that for you, Robert, you're welcome. He knows more about Star Wars than any person in this room. No cap, okay? So when we think of a student though, we might think of school right? Like being a disciple, though, is not the same as that. How many of y'all remember a really good teacher you had growing up in school? How many of y'all remember a good teacher, okay? Like you can probably remember her name or his name. Okay, I remember a great teacher. I have Miss Fox. She was a great teacher for me. She was my third grade teacher. She was amazing. She was the first one that helped uh, me and my parents understand that I was dyslexic. I would, I would words up my mix sometimes. And, uh, and, 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 and she loved me through that. She helped me figure out how I could read and how I could deal with that. And she just cared about me. Uh, I could tell that she cared about me. And I, and I love that. But how many of y'all remember one bad teacher you had? Anybody remember one bad teacher you had? Okay, I remember a bad teacher. I had two. I'm not going to say his name. I'm just going to call him Mr. L. But Mr. L was one of the most mean-spirited, legalistic, judgmental people you ever met in your life. And the problem was he was a teacher at a Christian school. Uh, it was not a good combination. He was mean. And I won't tell you all the things he did because I've forgiven him and released him. And I don't know if he's even still alive, but I, I, you know, I, I hope God bless him. But the problem was because he was so mean and legalistic, he was a teacher. The students that he taught would start to emulate some of the things that he would say and the spirit that he had. So even at a really young age, I got a little legalistic too. My mom was telling me at one point, my little sister, she came downstairs and she was wearing some of those socks that had, remember the socks with the ruffles? Okay, like we were getting ready to go to church. And in my mind, I was like, that, those are provocative. And so I, I called her out on it. I'm like, you need to change your socks right now. You're gonna cause somebody to stumble and you're gonna send somebody straight to hell. I don't know why I had a Southern accent back then, but I did. And <laughs> And I was very legalistic. And, and so here's the thing. I learned some science and some social studies from Mr. L. There's no way I'm interested in emulating his life. And that's a big difference between being a student of Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, versus being a student of anything else. In Bible times, when they would look at this, it, wasn't, uh, it was around any subject, around any uh, skill around any trade, this is the way they would learn. A mentor. You would apprentice under a mentor and you would just follow them around and you would learn everything that they had to teach you. And the goal at the end of that apprenticeship was not just to know the trade that they taught you, but it was to be as much like the person 
as you could possibly be, okay? So they had rabbis. They were the spiritual leaders. That's why the disciples would call Jesus rabbi, because he knew the word and he would teach. But it's different than the form of learning that we're used to. There's really two forms of learning. There's a Greek form, there's a Hebrew form. The Greek form is what most of us grew up in. Okay, that's where you sit in a class, there's dissertation, you learn from a book, you take tests, that type of learning, okay? The Hebrew form was all about practical application. You would walk with people. So when it comes to being a disciple of Christ, the goal would be, I want to imitate both the life and the teaching of Jesus. So that at the end of my apprenticeship under Jesus, I am a living copy of who he is. That's the goal. That's what it means. The late philosopher Dallas Willard said this, discipleship is a life of learning from Jesus Christ how to live in the kingdom of God now as he himself did. That's what it means. As I've mentioned before, in the New Testament, even in the original language, the word disciple is used 269 times. The word Christian is used three, okay? So you, you may just call that semantics, but I believe in the day and age that we're living in now, it is not enough to say you're a Christian anymore. That word can so loosely be used and thrown around. I'm Christian. How, how, how do you know? Well, I, got a, I got a fish on the back of my car. I even got a new life church sticker on the back of my car. Uh, yeah, I did flip you off the other day. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I understand that the speed limit is not 85. But I'm Christian. I even got a cross necklace. Christian. I know how to quote John 3.16. Most of it. It's not enough to say that anymore. What God is looking for and what Jesus called us to be is a disciple. That's what he's called us to be. And he called us to be one and then to in turn make someone else one too. So here's some thoughts about this commission of making disciples. First of all, to make disciples, I must be a disciple myself. Now I say that, it's like, yeah, that seems obvious. But I feel like I still need to say it. Because I think we miss the fact that if I'm commissioned by the Lord to make disciples and teach them to obey, he kind of expects that I'm a disciple and that I'm obeying. Like those have to come together. And even if, even if you're a beginner at this, the driving force of your life is continual transformation into the likeness of Christ. That should be the most important thing to you. But here's the challenge that we face in Western Christianity. Most understand getting saved. Like Jesus told Nicodemus, in order to be saved, you have to be born again. And and so we understand like we can be forgiven, justified, saved by grace through faith in Jesus and on our way to heaven. But the problem is a lot of us have grown up in a culture where what's next is not emphasized. Okay, but what, what, what comes after? Salvation through faith, justification through faith. What comes after that? There's a lot to it. It's easy to think of Jesus as a savior, but not think of him as master and teacher. On the trip, uh, the kids watched a movie while we were driving. I didn't watch it because it would be highly irresponsible for me to watch a movie while we were driving. But what I gathered from what I could hear uh, was it was a movie about the greatest a small boat rescue that has ever happened in Coast Guard history. I think it's called The Greatest Hour or something like that. And it's a story uh, from in the 50s, 
this big tanker split in half, ran aground, uh, and there was a bunch of men stranded on it. So this captain went out in a small boat with a couple other guys and rescued all these guys. It was like a huge deal. And, and you could tell by listening to, towards the end of the movie just how thankful all those people were, right, that they were rescued. In fact, I went on to learn that they actually have uh, or had for a long time, and whoever is still alive probably still does, they would meet once a year to commemorate what happened and to honor the captain who made the decision, put his life on the line to go out and rescue these guys. So once a year they would get together. But, but you have to know that this doesn't mean that they're all close. It doesn't mean they know the guy. Good that they honor him, but that doesn't mean they have a relationship with him. And I think if we're not careful, our relationship with Christ can become very similar. Like twice, three times a year, maybe every weekend, we get together and pay homage to the guy that saved us. But not really care that much about what he wants for us. What he wants from us how he wants us to live. There's absolutely nothing in what Jesus himself or any of his early followers taught that suggests that you can just decide to enjoy forgiveness at Jesus' expense and then have nothing to do with him after that. Like, thanks, Jesus. See you in heaven. And for Jesus to respond, yeah, yeah, I got nothing else for you. See you later. Live however you want. No. To be a disciple of Jesus, you learn to think, process, and become more like him. Ephesians 4.15 says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, which is what I'm trying to do right now, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. 2 Peter 3.17 says this, Therefore, dear friends, since we have been forewarned, okay, now we are living in the times that Paul warned about, where we can find teachers that will tell us whatever our itching ears want to hear, even if it's not true. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. Okay, now I'm not gonna get into eternal security versus free will on that verse. But this is what I do know and what I have watched. When it says that you would fall from your place that is secure, I do know this. Anytime that you start abandoning and walking away from your personal devotion to Jesus every day, you get insecure. You act insecure, you post insecure, you dress insecure, you talk insecure, you just get insecure. And I know that that is true in that verse, regardless of whether it's talking about salvation or not. His creation gets insecure when they are not tethered to, grounded in, and rooted in who they are in him according to his word, period. So it's saying that that can happen. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. By the way, this is not a process of behavior modification. This is internal transformation. And that is different. We are the only thing created, we're the only being created by God that has the ability to change internally, to have transformation of our heart and soul. None of his other creations have the ability to do that. If you have ever had a pet and trained them and taught them to do anything, you know this, right? Because you can train a pet to be obedient and to do everything right. And you can guarantee you're gonna leave at some point and come back and they have tore up something. They've pooped all over the place. They have destroyed some blanket. They have, and, and, and here's the thing, when you come back, there isn't repentance. You've never had a pet. I'm real sorry about all of this. And God, that's a, it's a mess. It smells bad. I'm real this is horrible. No, you come back and like, <laughs> like everything's fine. 
because God didn't create them to seek internal transformation. He's given us that ability. God is not looking for well-trained Christians. He's looking for transformed disciples. That's what he's looking for. Not because of anything you can do, but because of who he is and what he did. So here's a question you might ask. How can I tell how I'm doing with this whole thing? Another question would be this. Do you really wanna be more like Jesus? Don't answer that question too quick, especially if you haven't studied who he really is. But how, how do you know? How, do you, how can you tell how you're doing? Well, I wanna tell you what I've learned, but you're not gonna like what I have to say. What I've learned, a great measurement of how Christ-like I am is when things don't go my way. That'll reveal it real quick. Because anybody can rant and criticize and be negative. Nobody has to teach me how to do that. I got all that without the Holy Spirit. But can I genuinely display love and joy and peace no matter what? How about patience, kindness, goodness? How about faithfulness when no one else is faithful? Gentleness, Lord help me. Self-control. And I wanna say, if you're not far along in this process, don't be discouraged. You just got room to grow. We all do. I'd also say if you're not interested in this process, you are still welcome here, but you're gonna get really frustrated with us because the assumption that we operate under is that if you have called on Christ as your Lord and Savior, you desire to grow and change. Here's why this is important. Because you will only reproduce who you are. You'll only reproduce who you are. Way back in the beginning, God established that in Genesis 1. God created things to reproduce themselves according to their kind. According to their kind. This is a biological principle, but it's also a spiritual principle. When you're talking about making disciples, you're going to reproduce what you are. Your character, your conviction, your faith, your hunger for God, your devotion to him. And I'll tell you one area this gets convicting real quick is if you're raising kids. Whew. As I told you, we went on a road trip. And people ask me, did you take an RV? You mean like a, like a big thing? that if you wanted to get away from someone, you had a little space to do that? No. No. No, we're in a little SUV. Every day. A lot of miles. A lot of states. And after a while, demons started manifesting. Have you ever been in a place as a parent where you're like, what do we do? What do we, we can't leave them like that? You get in trouble for that? Can we leave one? Like, can we, can, like, no? So we're getting, something's going to have to change. or I won't be able to be a pastor anymore. So at one point in the trip, it's like, being totally honest, it revealed a weakness in my discipleship with my own family. And that's hard, man. I'm a pastor. 
and, and so we just, we had a family meeting. And I just started discipling my kids. You know, there's been times I'm like, y'all need to get up in the morning early. And seek the Lord. Worship him. Read the Bible. Pray a lot. Well, I do that and Cody does that. We try to model that. But you still got to teach people. You got to teach your kids. And so I discipled. We talked for a while. And in, in, with as much grace and patience as I could, I communicated the truth and love. I said, this is what the word of God says about who he's created you to be. Let's contrast it with that with how you're acting. And where you're at right now, is that who you want to be or do you want to be who God's called you to be? Because there's a big chasm right now. And it's just normal kid stuff. It's selfishness and not being considerate and not being thankful and entitled. And, and then at the end of that conversation, we, we prayed. How many of y'all remember some long talks with your parents? It was one of those. Then at the end of that, I just put a worship song on, playing out of my phone there in our hotel room. We just walked around, we prayed, and we worshiped. And that was my favorite part of the whole trip, right there. It was powerful. God moved. And I wish I could say that after that, everything changed. We got in the car, the kids were all praying in the spirit, and they're like, Father, let us put away all devices and let us sing a cappella worship to the Lord. <laughs> no, not exactly. But there was a shift, and it doesn't matter if I see results right away or not. I've got to be faithful in planting the seeds. The Holy Spirit makes stuff grow. The Holy Spirit brings the water. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. But I've got to tend to it. And I can't just give up on it. So parents, especially dads, you have a responsibility. Your number one responsibility is to disciple your family and your kids. Single parents, I can't imagine what it's like. I have the most incredible wife on planet Earth. I will fight you over that. I cannot imagine what it would be like trying to raise kids without her. But here's what I would say. I don't care how tired you are. You're going to be infinitely more tired if you don't start spending some time discipling those babies. If you don't start helping them understand the practical steps that it takes to be a Christ follower then it isn't going to work. It's not going to work. Can I get an amen in here? That was point number one. Good news is I only have eight more points. No. Kidding. Number two, we don't make disciples for ourselves. We guide people to study under Jesus. This is huge. We're not here trying to create a huge following on TikTok to show people how great we are or how great New Life Church is or how great our ministry is. We're trying to show how great King Jesus is. And Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 1.12. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others saying, I follow Apollos. Or I follow Peter. Or I follow only Christ. Has Christ divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. You are not disciples of me. You're not disciples of your mama. We build the kingdom of God. And God's will is that every one of us disciple under Jesus. We disciple under Jesus. 
Our teacher and our master is Jesus. Our curriculum is the word of God and our daily counselor and tutor is the Holy Spirit. That's where we study. We're not trying to build our kingdom, his kingdom. And that's why we have to help people, number three, stay connected to Jesus. We help people stay connected to Jesus. That is the work of a disciple maker. Jesus said, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Okay, so there's a huge burden that should be lifted off of you right there. You just remain. If you remain in him, you'll produce much fruit. How many of you have ever needed help before in here? Anybody ever needed help before in here? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you need help. Okay, we've all needed help before. I will say one of the most humbling times in life is when you need help with technology. That is humbling, okay? I'm in like this gap generation. I was born in 1980, okay? So that's like the bridge between analog and digital. So in that, in that period right there, it's like we had a little bit of exposure to both. But for the most part, things were not that complicated, technologically speaking, right? It's like, oh, you just stick a pen in and you can rewind the tape. It's not that big of a deal. It's, it's not that hard, right? It's like, if you, here, just take the cartridge. You go, and then when you put it in, you push it down. Stick that piece of cardboard up there on the top. Wedge it in there. Wedge it. It's, it's on. Wedge it in. It's on. Wedge it. That was as complicated as it got back then. Right? But now, good Lord. My kids. Yeah, all kinds of, it's like. I'm trying to take pictures on our trip. My girl, my one's over there editing full documentaries on her phone. I'm just like, what do you, I don't even know. How do you do any of that? So what, how, those people don't look like that when I see them in real life. <laughs> it, that is, how, what's going on? Like, and here's the thing. You may not be a very judgmental person, but I promise you, you're going to start judging people when you're looking for somebody to help you with technology. Because you can tell. You look at somebody like, no, they can't help me. <laughs> no offense, but if you got more gray hair than me, I ain't asking you. <laughs> no way. Yo, you don't know Jack. Like, like something broke on my car? As long as it's not a new car, <laughs> I'll ask you. But if it's technology, no. I'm going to say, hey, are you a Gen Zer? That's who I'm looking for right there, because they know it all. And some of the millennials, if I can get your attention long enough, right, to help out, you know. (laughs) Way to alienate 80% of your audience, James. (laughs) We all need help sometimes. And when Jesus says make disciples, what he's telling you is, I want you to be like a spiritual health coach. You come alongside people and you help train them in spiritual disciplines. You're not the master. Just train people how to stay connected to the master. Train them how to do that. Help them understand the tools of discipleship, what it means. What are those tools? It's prayer. Time in the word, biblical community, giving, being committed to gathering, worship, serving. And why are we always pushing all these things? Well, because for like a couple thousand years, (laughs) these have been the things that have sustained the work of the gospel in the body of Christ. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, so I don't mind you reading some cool book or listening to some podcast that somebody has that's creatively telling you. But you know what? It's going to boil down to this and you getting with God and asking his spirit. I want to add a spiritual discipline to your life. I'm not creating this. Jesus did this. One of the spiritual disciplines that we are majorly lacking in is what I would call silence and solitude. 
Jesus would get up really early in the morning. He'd just get away from everybody. Like, he, didn't, he didn't like, oh, man, I need my Spotify list. He didn't like, hey, will you come and play a harp while I'm praying? Well, he would just get away and listen to the voice of God. He'd get away with his father. And I'll tell you, man, I got, I got to a place on this trip where I was like, ooh, silence and solitude. <laughs> like, go to your room. We're in the room. Yeah, you're right. You know, so you just have to get up and walk and be by myself. And some of you are like, oh, Pastor James, you don't know how hard it is for me to do that. I'm so distracted. You need to do it way more. Because it's a discipline. It takes time to figure it out. But I promise you, in the day and age we're living in, whew, you need it. There's too much noise, too much going on. We got to help people stay connected to Jesus. And also making disciples is best accomplished through friendship. Why? Because trust is going to be a key component of this whole deal. It earns you the right to speak into someone's life. And sometimes you're going to have to communicate hard things to be truly loving. Who do you typically listen to? Someone who doesn't know you or someone who loves you and has been there for you, who has challenged you, encouraged you. I want to give you one thought that I think is incredibly important. In an age of social media, guard yourself that you don't let your emotions get connected to people's opinions who do not know you. Okay, because it's, it's too easy. You, it, you get on social media, you've got, you've probably, you've probably got maybe a handful of people that are on that whole thing that are actually your friends. Everybody else is a crowd. Jesus drew a crowd. That's fine, but he had his disciples. That's who he was invested in. That's who he spent time listening to and speaking to. Those were the opinions that he cared about, okay? Don't let everyone else's opinion so easily sway you. Let the fruit of your life speak for itself. And if you are grounded and rooted in the fear of the Lord and the direction of his word, then you can trust that he's got you. He has got you. Don't get drawn into thinking that you need to prove something to somebody. You are justified through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You don't need to justify yourself to people. Okay? I just want to throw that out there because it's too easy. Because I know. I know. The greatest encouragement I can give you is sit back. Watch God work. Because he will. And it's much better. John 15, 15 says this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This was the kind of relationship he had with his disciples. And it was the same with Paul and Timothy and Titus. So I'm gonna say it again. Get into a life group. Get into biblical community. Get, get around two or three other Christ followers that you are accountable to that are gonna help you grow in the word, in devotion, in prayer. Look, I don't know how to convince you, but I'm not, I don't, when someone tells you to get into a life group. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay because you're new around here, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been around here forever, and you've never done it. I promise you, it's not because, like, we've got all these 
programs we have as a church, and the only way we can measure the success of them is by how many people do the programs. No, that's not what Life Groups is for us. That's just a name. We're just trying to tell you what the Word of God tells you to do. God didn't create you to be alone. You get weird when you're alone. You do, and mean, and judgmental, and critical, and unchristlike. All of us need people. We need community. We got life groups starting back up this next month. And it may not work in your schedule. We may not. But here's what I would say. You can find somebody you're growing in Christ with. In fact, Tim, this is Tim. Hi, Tim. Stand up, Tim. This is Tim Dolan. He's our life group pastor. Yes, we're thankful for you, Tim. We need life groups. We need life group leaders. So if you've ever thought, oh, I've thought about leading a life group, but I'm not really sure. You know what it takes to lead a life group? Being one step, one step in front of the people you're trying to lead. And you know when that step happens? Sometimes that step happens an hour before everyone shows up. All you have to have is a desire that people are connected in community, that you're willing to grow with people. You're willing to ask some questions. It really doesn't take a whole lot. We can help equip you. I'm not saying like we just, anybody can lead a life group, no. But a lot more of you could lead than you realize, for sure, for sure. So this is Tim. Thank you for staying standing, Tim. Go ahead and stay standing, Tim. <laughs> Mainly because I know you don't like this. Uh, come and talk to Tim. Just come and talk to him, okay? You coming and talking to Tim is not, uh, I'm gonna sign in blood. I'm gonna lead a life group. No, just come and talk to him. Find out if it might be something the Lord would have you do. Okay, Tim, thank you. I appreciate you. You can sit down. You're like a big brother to me. Big brother, glad I never had. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I love you, dude. <laughs> but this is the promise at the end of this. And surely I'm with you always. Man. To the very end of the age. Okay, so why is this important? Because we are dealing with the reality of heaven and hell and eternity. Can you guys sense that we are in a strange time? Would you give me that at least? Like even if, even, if, even if you're not like, no, we're living out revelation, okay? Even if you're not there, you could at least admit we're living in some crazy times. We need Jesus. People around us need Jesus. As I drove across the country, a couple things stood out to me. First of all, we live in the greatest nation on planet earth. And I can say that because I've been around the planet. And I promise you, there is no place like this. You go to places like Ellis Island, you realize just how desperately people would love to be here. God has blessed us to be here. And guess what? That also means it comes with a responsibility. The other thing that stood out to me, our country needs Jesus. Bad, bad. Okay, so last week we talked about the end times. Like, I don't know if it's the end of time or just the end times. Like, I don't know what the time frame is, but I know this. Every day I'm getting closer to the end of my time. And I don't have a lot of it. Stack next to eternity. That's it. So I've got to be serious about this. This, on, when we started our trip, we were making our way up. We, we stopped in a few different places a couple days into our trip. We're heading uh, to spend about a week with my aunt and uncle. They, they've got a, a place up on a lake in Wisconsin. We've been there a few times and we're in Chicago and we're gonna be heading up there within the next couple days. And I get a call from my aunt and she lets me know that my cousin, her son died. Um, he was just a couple years younger than I was, died unexpectedly. Uh, and obviously, you know, the first thing is I'm thinking about, 
I'm just broken for her. I'm broken for the family. I'm, and, you know, even as a pastor, you don't always know what to say. You know, so I just prayed with her. But obviously I knew, like, this This just changed the dynamic of our trip. I, I just told her, like, Dude, would it be better for us not to come? And she's like, no, I think, I think that part of this is God's timing. I, I, we, we want you guys to be here. We, we need you to be here. And I'm like, are you sure you haven't been riding with my kids for the last couple of days? And uh, no. And she's like, yeah, I, want, I still I want you to come. But it, it did change, you know. We just, there was some mourning that was still happening. There was grieving that was happening. And, and uh, but you know, I, and when I also just, while I was on that phone call, I remember that on my birthday, May 13th, Michael had sent me a Facebook message. And he said, James, I just want to let you know, I finally surrendered my life to the Lord completely and, and totally. I've never been more happy than I am right now. I've never had more joy. I'm going to make a difference. I I, I, want to become a counselor. He has some major struggles over the course of his life. And and I'm not saying, I I I don't think I have really much anything to do with that. I'm just thankful he told me that. But what I do know is there were some people around his life, and especially his mama, that spent a lot of years being salt and light to him believing, praying, not giving up, not enabling, but loving, encouraging. And and so, you know, there was mourning, there was grieving, but I remember he gave his life to Jesus. And so because of that, we may mourn, but we do not mourn as the world mourns. We don't mourn like those who have no hope but it was a stark reminder why what we do is so important. And and here's what I know. If you you will just commit yourself to spending time with God every day, walking, letting the Holy Spirit lead you, spending some time in his word, spending time in prayer, being fully devoted to being the best version that he's created you to be, you'll change people. You will, he will put you around people. Even over the course of this trip, we would run into strangers all the time. And it, I, people will come up to us. <laughs> you, your kids are some of the most well-behaved people I have ever seen. And I was like, only God can do these things. Like... <laughs> This is, you know, be salt and light. Amen. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. The truth is God loves people. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And incredibly enough, he wants to use us to build his kingdom. But it has to happen through a personal relationship. And it starts with a surrendering to him, with an understanding that you need a savior. But then it doesn't stop there. It's making him master, it's making him Lord. And so if there's anyone in this place that that you just realize, man, the Holy Spirit has been working on you. You know, it's like in the pit of your stomach. It's just like, almost like a, can be like a, almost like a tightness in your chest. Like, man, I know I'm away from the Lord. I know I don't have a, a, a genuine relationship with him. And, and honestly, I, even, as, even as you were speaking, Pastor James, it, I thought I was in a good place, but the Holy Spirit's showing me, no, I, I've just been doing all the, the things. I've been I've been doing the routine. I've been checking the boxes, but the reality is I've never truly surrendered to Jesus. And I need to do that. Or maybe you feel like you just need to rededicate your life. You need to come back to him. What I'm gonna ask you to do is not what gets you saved, but my personal experience, anytime that I've made the decision of my own free will to put action and faith together, it helps me receive more from God. 
And so I'm going to ask you, if you know you're away from the Lord, you don't need to worry about anybody else that's around you. This is the most important decision you'll ever make. But if you say, Pastor James, I need Jesus. I'm away from him and I'm ready to give my life to him. I want you to put your hand up right now across this room with boldness. I need him. I'm away from him. And you can look at me and as soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. I just want you to know I'm just affirming it. I got you. Proud of you. I got you back there. Proud of you. Yes, ma'am. Proud of you. God's proud of you. Anyone else? I'm away from Jesus. I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. Okay. Father God, I thank you so much for those few hands. And I thank you, God, that you're meeting with them right now. And I just want to encourage you, this is the first step of an amazing journey with Jesus. But it starts with you just being honest and you can say something like this, say, Jesus, I need you. And I admit that I'm a sinner and I recognize that my sin separates me from you. But I believe that you died on the cross. You paid the price for my sin. And right now I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you for saving me. But right now, I also surrender my life to you. I want you to be my master. I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to become more like you. Help me to do that. Help me to stay connected to your church and to the body of Christ so that I can do that, so that I can grow. Help me to understand your word. Give me a hunger and desire for the word of God, for your presence. I need you. Thank you. And Father God, I pray that every person in this room, regardless of where we're at in the process, we would take the next step and then you would, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see opportunities to help someone else along their journey of being fully devoted followers of you. And thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's praise God in this room for the few folks who raised their hand to give their life to Jesus. And we welcome you and we love you.